Yeah. Even though, I mean, look, I don't know who you would be promoting that to on my end. None of us can afford that school. <laughs> I did like a quick Google search. It was like, baby, we got to move and we got to make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's expensive. It is expensive. That's for sure. And this, this people have three kids there and they're paying full, full tuition for all three kids. So <laughs> what a blessing. What a problem to have, you know? I make yes. enough to be able to spend that much on them. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, okay. Because <laughs> it's been a while. We haven't spoken since, like, my vanity tobacco. Is that even a word? <laughs> so if I had finished, I would have known whether or not that was a word or not. So, <laughs> how close was I? How, was I close? That was very good. That was yes. very good. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so tell me, man. So since 2005, four, somewhere around there. Yeah. What have you been up to? Well, I graduated from college and, uh, you know, I graduated in 2006. And then after that, I moved to Washington, D.C., where I've been ever since. So I came to work for my uncle. You know, you said you're a Vanderbilt debacle. Look, man, we were all barely hanging on, man. I, you know, I barely made it out of there um, and didn't have much of a plan. But my uncle was willing to hire me. And so he owned an accounting firm. Uh -huh. And so I got to train in accounting and a little bit of finance. And from there, I've made my way in my professional career. So uh, I had several jobs and I am where I am now. My wife, I met her when I was at Vanderbilt and she was already up here in DC. So um, we reconnected up here because she was up here a year earlier than me and we dated, got married, had some kids and, you know, a couple mm -hmm. condos and now a house. You know, I'm living that married life, you know, working, living, all that. So it's been good, you know, so it's, what's that mean? It's been 16 years since I graduated now. 16 years tomorrow, actually, tomorrow. or today. 16 years ago today, May 12th, I think. Oh, my goodness, man. Like, that's incredible. First of all, just the idea that, you know, you have this storybook, like, I went to college, met my wife there, <laughs> and then, you know, onward and onward. Like mine was high school. I married my high school sweetheart. Oh man, yeah. that's so good. We broke up early. She realized her mistake years later, <laughs> and you know, got with me and then realized how much work I needed. Apparently, so okay. <laughs> that's what we are. But that is good. So now, what does she do? Can I, can I poke around there a little bit? Yeah. So she is a uh, she is multifaceted. My wife is. You know, I married up, man. So she has her master's in uh, nursing and uh, she's a women's health nurse practitioner. So she has, when she first got up here, she worked at Georgetown hospital in labor and delivery. So oh, wow. and delivering babies with the doctors. And then she went to go work at a nonprofit clinic serving uh, women and girls 35 uh, years of age and under with medical services. It was mostly an uninsured population, a lot of uh, undocumented folks. And then mm. since 2013, she's worked at a private uh, clinic downtown DC. And then seven years ago, right after our second was born, she started uh, a company teaching childbirth education classes. So she, uh, for five years, taught in-person childbirth education classes. And then she transitioned it all online when COVID started. So it's all been online since then. So she's uh multifaceted and always working on expanding her business and all that man see we both uh married up that's fantastic yeah so 
okay what did COVID expose to you in particular because i feel like a lot of people are like man you know what i don't want to drive i don't want to commute matter of fact i'm not getting paid enough and then all these like different alternate universe branches right started happening and then we have a supply issue and it started to unearth a lot so what did it what did it show you during the uh the shutdowns man you know COVID has been interesting in in our family because i i tell everybody man we've been like 99th percentile in luck and everything so we've got this is gonna make Ooh. me sound fancy and bougie but i promise you it's not but we have <laughs> uh we have au pairs that help us with our child care and so they live with us we've had au pairs since 2016 and so we had an au pair that joined our family in january 2020 and then uh COVID hit but we got lucky man because she studied early childhood education in college oh. and so when the kids were home doing school i had uh, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and then we had a, a one-year-old at home and so she was able to help the kids through and uh so that was interesting and then lisa she never stopped going to work because she's in the medical field so women that mm. were pregnant and needed to have a visit they still needed to be seen because they were 36 oh, weeks pregnant no, that makes sense yeah so she was still going to work man you know it's like you know like rudy gobert got COVID, the nba shut down and then friday like the whole <laughs> world shut down well she went to work on monday you know <laughs> you know it just she didn't stay home and then my job i have now uh i accepted the job early february february 2nd of 2020 um, and i know the date because i tell this story a lot and uh, oh, i started okay. Yeah, I started on April 1st, 2020. So the world was completely different by the time I started. And so I had probably three weeks, maybe four weeks at home. And then I had to go into the school because we had to figure out how we were going to open back up. And so I was home a little bit, but like we really like we weren't locked down for months and months at the house, you know, right. like we were both trying to navigate, you know, and like putting on masks and we didn't we didn't know if the mask was going to do anything or, or what you know we were just, we were just out there so it's been different you know and, and in the workspace for me the supply chain disruptions have been brutal you know like pieces of equipment that you could get off the rack or would take a month to get in take six months to get in cost his way through the roof you know um and in some ways this stuff was going to be good you thought like you thought ah eh, like prices are up but that means people are getting paid more you know but like it's been difficult you know like I, we hire cafeteria staff right and right. The, the price the wage that we pay them is up it has to be in order to hire people and that's good for people right they're making more money right it means we got to charge our families more tuition but you know that's good for people but then inflation i think has been the killer so the supply chain stuff you know in some ways unless it's like a medication or you know that kind of those are first world problems, man. Like it takes us a, a longer time to get, uh, you know, routers and switches to do our network project at school. First mm. world problems, man. But some of this with the inflation, like that's really hitting our teachers hard, you know? And teachers are people we've asked a lot of the last two years. Um, yes. And then for the, you know, it hit, it's hitting everybody, right? But because I work in a school, I know that those teachers are feeling it. They are, they're having a hard time, you know? And so I think that's the part that has come out of COVID where you just realize that 
that the struggle is is really real for people you know we have our first comment and it says inflation or corporate greed <laughs> both right I both, mean, always both it's never one thing or the other right yeah i mean look the the inflation is is real because of supply shortages and that causes prices to go up like our chef in our kitchen he's from taiwan and so he's giving me the heads up he's like i got you know my people are back in taiwan he's telling me the surge is real this is six weeks ago and he's saying hey man like we get all of our utensils that are compostable and we have you know like compostable utensils he's like those are all made in taiwan i'm telling you the COVID surge is happening there again and the mm -hmm. supplies are going to get choked off again it's going to be hard to get the materials and so when there's not as many materials to go around the price goes up but some of the stuff yeah certainly they're they're just charging more for it because they can you know i mean yeah. i you know i i always think gas is one of those things you know and i'm not an economist but i've, I've worked in finance over my career gas is one of those things where they get you right that price goes up way faster than it comes down and uh they only drill for oil and produce gas when it's expensive you know and and that's just mm. one of those things so it's difficult but yeah it's inflation and corporate greed that's for sure so i was talking with someone about how, how did they put it unintended consequences versus unintended rewards mm. so if you look at you look at the war in ukraine it's almost like uh socrates in his trial right mm -hmm. like, this is a bad thing i don't know maybe well i mean think about the war and oh this is bad for gas prices i don't know maybe but then here in new mexico one of the worst uh worst ranked states as far as education goes we have we now have like billions of dollars in surplus just on the gas taxes alone. Wow! In my home state of Tennessee, they started paying teachers a little bit better because of how much we're making across the country on these crazy gas prices, which just makes me think like we really could get rid of every single problem in the world if we all just decided, ah, let's all pay a little bit more. You know, and it's not just on people in a certain tax bracket; it's incumbent upon all of us right because i think the greatest trick in the world is you know you can't fix one thing by just fixing one thing at a time or you can't fix a problem with, by fixing one thing at a time uh, you mm -hmm. have to fix all those connectors at the same time to see some real productive you know fruitful growth and i think that's that's just a weird thing man we can complain about gas but it helped a lot yeah so how do we do that without paying taxes i guess is the question <laughs> senator senator hollywood yeah you can't right i mean ah, no shortcuts huh yeah right but i mean you know one of the things i decided and this is i mean you know people can judge how they want to but i decided seven or eight years ago the gas is gas is going gas that's how i feel right and there's nothing i can mm -hmm. do about it i gotta drive a certain amount and so i'm just gonna buy me some stocks in uh oil companies <laughs> and that'll be my oh, hedge no. against that right um yeah. that hasn't worked as well as i thought it would truthfully um but that's what i decided to do but you're right there's always trade-offs and uh it's difficult i've really come to you know on the one hand i agree with you right like we could all do things to make a difference but i would also say that there are probably those of us in our society that get away with doing less than the majority of people you know, like I'm not a 
I'm not a socialist, I'm not a communist, I'm a capitalist, but I also believe in everybody paying their fair share. And I've just, I've just seen that side of it being in finance, you know, where there's definitely people that kind of, you know, they find their ways, right, to pay right. what I would call less than their fair share. They would, they might say, I pay more than everybody else. Like, yeah, that's less than your fair share. Um, so that's, that's me. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm, so you can trace it back to that little in-between period. Uh, I think it's Nixon and Reagan, right? Somewhere off in there where people of a certain bracket were paying a ton, a ton in taxes. And that was probably around the last time we saw, you know, productivity go up, inflation go up and wages go up together. Uh, wages have been kind of stagnant. Um, Yes. I don't know. I don't even know how to attack such a large problem like that. Like, how do we convince people? I have, I have lots of ideas on that. I have, yeah. Well, see, yeah. this is one. This is actually we have we have stumbled onto one of my favorite topics because <laughs> my um. So you know, I'm from Oklahoma, and Oklahoma is a very conservative state. People believe in you know small government, low taxes, mm -hmm. low regulation, mm -hmm. and so most people there are fairly conservative, including my own father. But he is very much so of the opinion that Ronald Reagan really ruined is too strong of a term, but he may have ruined the American economy because for what? The not the great term, Reagan. Come on, not sir. the great Reagan. I would not have no. this on my show. You see all this red in hey. the background? How dare you? Hey. <laughs> no, let me break it down for you though. Okay. So please. if for 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 a long time in this country reducing one's tax bill was frequently tied to one's willingness to invest um, and reinvest profit. And that was rewarded. So if you owned a business and you made a million dollars in revenue and you paid your employees, you know, $700,000 and you invested $200,000 of that back into your business and you took $100,000 home, then you paid taxes on $100,000, you know? And like, so your tax bill was that. And if you wanted to take $300,000 home because those tax brackets were it was so big, once you got up there, you paid a lot more in taxes. You were incentivized to reinvest in your business to keep your, your tax burden low. Well, what the Reagan era ushered in was an extreme reduction in tax rates. And so, you know, when you just reduce the rates and you don't incentivize people uh, more business, mm -hmm. grow the business in the economy. To pay their people more and take more money from themselves, but what's going to happen? Executive pay is going to go up, pay for the rank and file worker will stagnate, and that's what's yeah. happened. That, I mean, that's what you've seen for the last 40 years in this country, and it's a shame. And um, I don't know how to fix it. I know that I think that was the origin of the problem. And so, if you had tax rates that were in the 60 and 70 percent. You could fix that, but that is completely, yeah. completely untenable in this country at this point. There's no way you could get that done. I would not have you come on this show and talk such nonsense, sir. How hey. dare you? Hey, that, let me tell you about straight. the great Reagan. Let me tell you about the great Reagan, sir. He figured <laughs> it all out. Okay? He figured it all out. All we got to do is stop, you know, drugs getting in the hands of kids. That's right. right with the, the failed, I mean, with the uh, D.A.R.E. program. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing is we got to make sure the you know people who are doing well in this country can continue to do well by not paying their share and also not paying their employees while telling people 
like you and I, sir, that all we have to do to do what they do is pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's right. How That's right. You? How dare you? How dare you? No, but I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. Like, my wife, like, she gets at me all the time for just pacing the floor. Like, if we just do this, then we can do this. And if we just do that, we can do this. You know, I'm just all over the place. She was just like, I, people, no matter where you look, there are always going to be people involved at this point. And there are always going to be corrupt people. And they're yeah. a little bit louder, a little bit more willing and, you know, assertive to put themselves up, out in front and tell you exactly why they deserve these things. You know, like you have your fancy degree and whatnot, with your fancy light above your head, right? <laughs> I have my HBO Max, and on this uh, on this thing, the streaming uh, platform, there's a show called The Gilded Age. Uh-huh. So it's basically like Downton Abbey for America. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I suggest I highly suggest it. I'll check and it just, out. Oh my goodness, these little intricate like ways to separate me from you. First of all, it's yeah. all made up. Yeah. It's all made up. But the idea that the stem, the small stem on your glass is, is so you can touch as little of the glass as possible because you don't want to touch the goblet part because that's what the servants touch. The same glass you're going to drink out of. Like, I, I don't understand all these things. Like, they're bored and just come up with a bunch of rules to make life more interesting. Huh. But in this country, according to Bernie Sanders and PolitiFact and all this stuff, they asked Bernie Sanders, like, okay, you keep talking about taxes. How high would you go on that percent? And he was like, I don't have an exact number, but I will tell you, under Eisenhower, it was around 90%. Yeah. And it's yeah. exactly what you're talking about. You pay a lot, but at the same time, you get a lot back if you're doing things with your employees or some sort of philanthropy. Like, yeah. there's got to be a way to tell a good, solid story and put that in a politician's, you know, or let a politician tell that good story to get people back on board to, you know, the American dream. If you yeah. have a lot, you give a lot. Yeah, it worked. It, it worked for a long time for this country. You know, I it's um, people always talk about, oh, you know, this is going to be the downfall of America or that's going to be the downfall of America. Drugs. This is, I, just, I really think economic greed is the downfall of America, <laughs> you know, eventually one day. Right. Unless you get it back on track, man. People won't stand for it forever. Oh, you muted, Jeremy. <laughs> Appreciate it. Good, good eye, good eye. As usual. That um, captain of the old line right there. So, so <laughs> after my football days, it was, you know, I kept up with the little bench, little curls or whatever. Didn't do many squats. And it didn't it didn't look good. It didn't work out that well. So I understand a little bit about being top heavy. I'm here to tell you, US of A, let's not do it. Let's not do it. That's Let's right. not follow the footsteps of every single great empire in the history of the world and get top heavy and, and topple. Yeah. Where the little people want to eat the big people. That's right. Yeah, we all need each other, man. We do. We do. But look, I want to talk. So, okay. I mean, we went way off. <laughs> but I like this idea of if you have a lot, give a lot. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's what the great Reagan would say, you know trickle down economics right right if we take care of the big guys they'll pass it along you know right they'll, they'll grace us with a little with a little morsel every <laughs> once in a while that's right so i had miss look mama jules was on the show 
Mm-hmm. And she's down there in Nashville still doing well, you know, bossing people around as usual. <laughs> <laughs> and one of these, uh, I asked her because she's at a private school as well. Or uh-huh. maybe it's a charter? Private. I don't know. It's a private school, yeah. Yeah. So I was asking her, like, she was talking about all these great programs and resources. And I asked her, like, how do we, I don't know, like, just get less, like, I, I don't want to say lesser or lower but low-income families, right, and their children pushing for those types, those same types of resources at their schools. And one of the things that they do is they have a program where, I guess they have, I don't know how they, the, uh, I don't know how they pick the students, but they have the students come on their campus and tour and look around. They show them the, the uh, computer lab and all these different things. Get them excited. Get the parents excited. And uh, they have them go back and tell the tales of work hard and maybe we can get here, you know? Mm-hmm. What can we do um, to get people to a school like like the one that you work at? Now, look, is it Murray? Murray, yeah, that's good. That's really good. No, 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 I cheated. I, I so cheated. I can't even, I can't let that stand. I am so sorry. I ah. cheated. I watched the video and everything. I was like, oh, because <laughs> at first, I'm, okay, all right. We won't tell anybody this, but okay. But here's, I know we're live, but we'll find a way. Just us, just us. Just us, just us. Okay, so I, um, I thought you might have misspelled market. (laughs) And I was like, "Ah, let me second guess that, man. Not, not Trey, not Trey. Let me, let me second, you know, let me second guess myself, humble myself. Maybe I have it wrong. Maybe. (laughs) And of course I did. And I was like, oh, okay, Mary. All right. And then I'm watching the video and hearing Murray is like, oh. I've completely got this wrong. So tell us a little bit about your position. What do you do? Why all the things? Yeah. So in my role, so I'm assistant head of school for finance and operations. So finance, operations, IT, uh, human resources, and facilities all report into my role. And so with that, you know, my my day could be consumed with you know, working with our director of facilities on a big HVAC repair, like to the air conditioning system, it could be consumed with a technology problem. We had like the, the wireless internet went out one day on campus, which is like a complete tragedy uh, for a school with a bunch of high school kids. Um, so those things all fall in my role. I've got a team of about 15 or 16 people across those different departments. Well, more than that, mm. I when I count all the guys on the facilities team, it's 22. So that's, that's my role. Um, I interface with all the different departments. I interface with the academic departments, with our admissions folks, um, athletics, because we hold all the money uh, <laughs> in my part. Okay. We make the budget and everything. So it's a, it's it's been fun working at a school because um, you get to know it in a different way. Right. Mm. I mean, like I knew school kind of growing up one way and I went to a school that's very similar to Murray um, for seventh through 12th grade. And but you just get to see the other side of it. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because the school, I mean, I'm not surprised that Jules, her school has, you know, ways that they try to get kids in the door. The, mm. the guy who's the head of her school knows the woman who's the head of my school what? Uh, pretty well. Yeah. So both of our schools are uh, involved in something called the Malone Schools Online Network. 
M-S-O-N. And so the kids at the school can take online courses from teachers at different schools. And so a kid from oh, my man. school may be in an online course with a kid from Jewel's school in Nashville. So uh, there's a bit of a connection there. But the schools, these private schools these days, they really are focused a lot on outreach. Like I know our admissions folks, they go to, um, they go to events that are held in different parts of the city to try to reach families that maybe traditionally haven't heard about Murray, right? Mm. To try to get them interested in the school, um, to publicize what the school can offer. We have uh, on our campus in the summertime, we have something that's called Horizons of Greater Washington. And it's a program for kids that are in the public schools in DC, where it's a summer enrichment program. And it's, it's not run by our school, but we host the school uh, we host the program at no charge on our campus and we run busing for them all summer. So we bus the kids to the campus and then we bus them back to central drop-off locations. And mm -hmm. so they come on campus, um, you know, they get to use our facilities and their camp counselors and some of our folks are involved. Some of our donors at the school are also donors to this program. And then not a ton of kids, but some of the kids end up matriculating to our school, which is mm -hmm. good um, because they're often kids that maybe come from a less economically advantaged background. Um, you know, I think there's always more work to be done on that front though, right? To make sure it's not a token effort, to make sure it's something that the school really believes in. Right. You know, you know, and I think one of the things the schools have gotten really good at is saying the words, right? So we're really good at saying the words that we believe it is a good educational um, experience for everybody when there are people of all different backgrounds um, at the school. You know, that's racial backgrounds, ethnicity, religions, um, you know, different socioeconomic status. That brings uh, a level of enrichment to the classroom. And I think by and large, we enact, we enact that. It gets messy at times, right? Like we have issues um, because when you bring a lot of different kinds of people together, when you've got kids and families there that are, um, their ethnic origins are in the Middle East, and but some of them are, um, you know, Jewish, and some of them are maybe, you know, Arab. But you can have tension sometimes if you do something that comes across the wrong way, and that's right. happened at our school, right? But I think out of that tension, usually can come a better understanding of each other, you know, and it and it teaches if we can do it in the right way. And that's been tough during the pandemic, you know when there hasn't been as much face-to-face right. -face as you would like. But, and that's been a tough part about schools. Um, hopefully we can bring some of that back together. So that, that is, that's the part that I've loved about working at a school. That's completely right. different, right? Like you get to see that different piece of it where our school has an opportunity to not just teach kids, you know, algebra and geometry, but really teach them some stuff that can hopefully help them uh, right. in, in real life. Not that you don't use algebra, but I think you learn more about learning about other people than you do about learning how to solve an equation. Right. Well, if you want to do something mathematical, how about how to budget, how to save? <laughs> you know, you're laughing, but I'm telling you, these are words that I never really paid attention to till I was well into my adulthood. Yeah. I mean, and like coming from where I came from, like you didn't have time to worry about saving your budget. It's like, can I make it to next week? Yeah. Right, the ideal of you know robbing Peter to pay Paul was just like a creed, like a credo yeah. in our in our house, you know. Yeah. But it's 
I like the idea of not being a token effort to get kids in. Yeah. Because I, I really do believe that if you guys don't have that program or whoever hosted, I know it's host, uh, hosted at your campus, but if that program doesn't exist or others like it, what are the chances that these people, these kids will get an opportunity to even know about a place to go and then pursue going there? You yeah. know, it's really important outreach. Yep. Yeah, we, like I said, I, I think we could probably, you know, we can always stand to do more, right? Because there's always, and it's a, it's a push pull because if a kid comes from a background where they can't pay full tuition, you mm -hmm. have to really make sure you have the money to help that family with tuition, right? And so you've got to have enough people who are paying the full tuition so you can help with the other tuitions because you, you know, that, um, you know, this rich white kid whose family, you know, makes, one and a half million dollars a year, their children will benefit from going to school with kids who aren't don't have that kind of background, right? Yep. And the kid whose family is scraping together thirty six thousand dollars a year in income, they will benefit from going to school with the kid whose family makes a million and a half dollars a year, right? But how do you bring those two kids and those two families together in a way that makes sense? You know, I think that's that's the struggle. Um, <laughs> But it's something that I think our kids uh, benefit from at the school when we do it right. When we do it right. Look at that. Yeah. Always yeah. room for humility. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So there are places or in some situations, diversity can be a dirty word, nope. right? Because it gets tossed around in so many different situations and co-opted for, you know, somebody trying to make a personal point. But Napoleon Hill has a book. It's a... Outwitting the devil. Have you have you had a chance to take a look at that? Mm -hmm. So it's basically a, a very brilliant guy who's interviewing the titans of industry, right? And then Carnegie, the Carnegie, tells him, you do better to pay attention to more people who failed than all of we who succeeded, right? Because I've learned way more from my failures than my successes. But he basically tricks the devil <laughs> into having an honest conversation. Hmm. And he says, part of the deal is he has to address the devil by, you know, his royal title, whatever. And then the devil tells him every single thing, every trick that he uses against humanity. Huh. And so understanding that one of the biggest things was building a hive mind, right? If you walk through the minds of the great writers and, um, I don't know, philosophers of old, right? Through reading or watching some sort of cinema uh, attached to that. And then you talk to people, people who aren't just going to say the same thing that you say or do what you do, that builds a hive mind. So even you and I having this conversation now, I have no experience in private schools and how they operate and, and you know, any of that. And you do. And now we're exchanging and where you laugh at the ideal of like budget, save, like, I'm just like, no, 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 tell me more. You know, I've got people in the, <laughs> I've got people in the comments saying like, "Hey, man, yeah, I, you tell me that all the time." You know, matter of fact, stay on me about that. That's my boy, uh, Sydney Williams. Shout out to him. From Let's talk with Yells and Dean podcast. But yeah, like people from my neighborhood, just like, what is this saving thing you speak of? You know, <laughs> so it's super important to have those conversations with people who don't have the same, you know, life as you. And it's yeah. nothing wrong with diversity. I think one of our biggest problems now is you know we humans who are poor communicators right yeah we don't give a lot of room to be offended and and take the time to explain hey 
you know, I tell my kids all the time, like, hey, make sure your siblings know when you're offended and why, and give them a chance to correct the behavior. If they don't, you can't frap with them. Oh, <laughs> by the way, by the way, I told you it was going to be random. Let me talk to my audience real quick. I'll be right back with you. Don't go anywhere. All right. So, anywho. Hey, get that out of here. Hey, welcome back to What the Frap Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Zillow. I'm here with one Trey Holloway. Hey, Mr. Holloway. Hello, hello, hello. Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So, yeah, okay. This word frap is spreading like wild wildfire. Like, I just use it with the assumption that everybody knows what that means, right? And yeah, people are right. just like, wait, 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 wait. What are you saying? What are you saying? You're not saying that for it. Hold on. What is that? And yeah. I explain where I got it from. So I have been doing like a small poll. I asked Liz. She said a person. I asked Mama Jules. She said another person. Who came up with the word frap? I mean, I would say Bobby Johnson. What? That, really? That's what I would. That's that. That's what, yeah. See, I always heard it came from Marlon. Uh, Liz Dollar was Otis, and I said, no, Otis was just the like front man for the word because he was like, yeah, when he made that, you know, rest in peace, him, man. Yeah, R.I.P. Otis. Yeah. Yeah. When he uh, nah, man, know, a frap goes back to at least like 2002. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it, it goes back. I think. I think it was. It was OG Bobby Johnson. <laughs> Which is great because, like, well, I remember first getting there and just being like, okay, all right, you know, nervous and whatever. I, we came back from the All Star Game in Knoxville, so I graduated, went to Knoxville for the week of you know All Star festivities or whatever, and then to Vandy, and my coach told me, hey, put your life over there in the corner. Your stuff's in the locker room. Be on the field 10 minutes. It started already? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, super nervous and not sure what to expect and, you know, trying to push myself through it. I think it was the 110 test. Uh-huh. Right? I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't speak afterwards. I definitely <laughs> did not finish. Um, <laughs> but this idea, man, when they were explaining, like, yeah, so there's a no cursing policy. Like, oh. Which was right up my alley because at the time I was not a cursor. Right? <laughs> I, and I was just like, yeah, well, okay, I was going to let it rip. You know what I mean? I was about to let it rip. I was about to let, but I'm going to respect the rules here. I'm new. I'll hold okay. back. Yeah. And I fell in love with that word crap. I brought it home and my mom was like, hmm, is that bad? <laughs> like, it was so great watching people have this mental jujitsu with themselves of like, no, nah, I think it's okay. No, what are you saying? Home. Yeah, yeah, I don't like how, I don't like your tone. I think that's what she finally landed in. I don't like the yeah, tone what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good stuff, man. Any memories you want to sh- like share from Van- your Vandy days, man? Oh my gosh, I mean, memories from Vandy days. There's so many. You know, I you know the the things that I probably remember. Obviously, the things I remember the most are just times with teammates. You know, mm. like, but usually, like, just chilling in the dorms. That was like a big one, right? Uh, right. Playing video games, and really the summers. You know, the summertime was when you really got to bond with your teammates because you had run of the campus, right? And you just had more free time. You know, there's, there's, 
the athletes and then there's the regular students right mm-hmm. and you always kind of wonder like what's it like to be a regular student and i think in the summertime you got a little bit of a feeling of what it was like because you know a lot of us had jobs maybe the job started at like nine o'clock or something and went till mm-hmm. 12 and and then you would go work out you know like i know my last couple of summers i didn't take any summer classes you know i work for three or four hours in the morning and i go work out and your day's over at like three o'clock you know and you have time to go do whatever it is you want to do and you started at nine and i always imagine that's what it was like for the regular students you know they had right. class from like nine to noon then they go get lunch and then maybe they had another class and then they had time to do what they wanted to do and so you could like yeah. hang out in the afternoons and you know go chill with your teammates and not have to worry about getting up early the next day it was really the college experience like that's the big memory it's like going out to eat mm-hmm. like and take out that kind of stuff um where you just got a lot of free time with your teammates to hang out and chill like that's that's the stuff you remember you know and then i remember a lot of the games that i played in you yeah. know the, the games especially my senior year uh, a lot of memories like my senior year when we beat arkansas on the road I can still see uh, Zach Logan dancing in the locker room after we beat Arkansas because he's from Arkansas and he was right. he was too turned up, man. And yeah. so just things like that that kind of that stand out in your mind uh, from that time. I'll, you know, now you know, 20 years ago, I played in my first game in college over 20, almost 20 years ago now, which is crazy man. to think about. And you look better than ever, Dacon. I'm so jealous. And I can see why. Your memories are, are you know, people and moments. And my my short time there, magic. That fucking ah! magic food. Oh, my goodness. I, look, let me talk to the people real quick. I started off as a defensive lineman. I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, had nothing but optimism. And uh, just, you know, I don't know if you remember me there or not, but, like, just happy to be there. And yeah. then I discovered magic oh <laughs> first of all the recruiting trip when it was like wait steak lamb or lobster where yeah. am i where yeah. sign me up i'm ready i'm ready to come right now like it was amazing shout out to magic oh yes yes i'm, I'm getting fatter just thinking about it <laughs> magic hooked mm-hmm. it up man that was that was good that was especially during preseason camp man magic he would hook it up that was that was my man oh my goodness and the accent said, oh, there he is, the big yeah. eater. I, yeah. I never got put on restrictions or anything. Like, I don't know why. I should have been. But, like, he loved Palak, like, just give him this and give him that. And it was like, yeah. And yeah, I was here yeah. for it, man. Well, you oh. always you still managed to stay light on your feet. That's what I always remember about you. You had really, really good feet. I mean, you had, you had trouble going to class. But you had really good <laughs> feet. Yes, and, thank and you. Co- Coach Caldwell would be like, "Uh, Trey, he's not going to class." I'd be like, "Ah, he's like, hey, what you do?" Right. He's like, "You need to make sure he goes to class." I'd be like, "Ah, I'm gonna try, Coach. I'm gonna try." Yeah, man. Oh, oh man. Look, let me tell you. Don't like that 2004 time period was such a rough time period so i had some weird thing which you know fast forward i've had to have like spinal like surgery on my spine and all kinds of crap so it was a little bit deeper than i thought but like it was a weird like i couldn't push off i think my right foot and like every now and then it would go numb and then i kept eating 
So that made it worse because I got heavier and heavier. And then they were like, okay, we're going to red shirt you. And that sent me into, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but depression. Like, it, you know, and like going back home and, and people saying like, yeah, see, you didn't party and you know, all this stuff in high school and you got out there and lost your mind. It's like, I, I've, first of all, discovered I could rent a laptop from the, the library. And then I discovered there were more than books at the library. There were also DVDs. So kids, before Netflix... <laughs> there were these round disc-looking things that were very thin. You put them in a little thin slot, and that's how we would stream our movies and stuff. And so that's, that's right. what I did, man. I, I literally would check stuff out, go curl up under the covers, and then make my way through practice, and then back to the bed. Like I, I don't know. It was like a weird moment. But uh, yeah. like that, that transition like, is tough, man. The transition yeah. to college is tough, and um, I mean, we knew we know so much more now than we did you know 20 years ago right about you know mental health and, mm -hmm. and even just about that transition right it's this idea like you're either tough enough to do it or you're not or whatever yeah. you know yeah. like i think we know so much better now and unfortunately we just didn't like just didn't have those tools you know at yeah. that time but i love that i have that experience because now anybody i run into like hey 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 hey, hey it's okay to ask for help yeah. Right. There's a reason. If you're just not going to class, there's a reason for it. Right. Yeah. If you're not doing, if you are going to class and not doing well, there's a reason for that. You know, I mean, the like world class tutors at yeah. Vanderbilt University, right there. They would have given me a laptop. They would have had me in the study hall. Like, there was so much, so many resources around me that I had never needed before because I was always that kid who, like, ah, I figured it out on my own. And I kept yeah. saying that. And I kept lying to Caldwell and everybody because I was thinking, I can pull myself out of this hole. You know, and I just kept digging it deeper and deeper. But yeah. now like, I tell my children everything and I get to see them like try themselves, struggle a little bit, get a little frustrated. Then they know how to soothe themselves. Then they come and ask us for help. And I just smile every time like, ah, they're already so much better than me. This is going to be so cool watching them grow up, you know? Yeah, I know. And, As yeah. my nine-year-old, she came to us the other day and she said, you know, dad, um, when she was talking to her mom, I was sitting there listening, she said, I set up an appointment for myself with the school counselor. Um, you know, I've got my friend so-and-so and I like to play with her, but then my other friend also likes to play with me and, but they don't get along. And so then I can't play with both of them at the same time. And I just really want to figure out how I can kind of manage that. And I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> really great. That is really yeah. responsible of you, you know, like, so just them knowing that they have, you know, so much more awareness about mm. that kind of stuff, you know, and I think it's great too. you know, we're, we're lucky and fortunate that our kids are in a great school with surrounded by great adults that love them and care about them. And they feel comfortable enough, you know, being able to do that and they can, you know, they, you know, it doesn't always have to be us that they ask for help. And so, mm -hmm. but yeah, just the awareness that to to know to think to be thinking about that is great right right man that is good stuff so about Murray, uh-huh talk to me what, what what i gotta do is there an <laughs> age limit is it too late for me to just like i don't know pretend like i had a huge growth spurt and hey i'm in eighth grade i'm trying to get into the school talk to the, me. the football coach may may try to uh, sneak you in there <laughs> No, he'll find out very quickly. Those days are well behind me. I'm trying to get a good, good job. No, hey man, we got 
kids that are 5'10", 150 pounds playing offensive line. So uh, I think he, he, he'd look the other way. Yeah, no, he, he'd look the other way. Yeah, I'm I, about 14, 14, 15. Yeah, right. Yeah. He and I do, he and I, I chop it up with the football coach a lot, which is fun. Um, mm-hmm. Because we actually do have some kids that can play in college and uh, like small colleges, not big, but uh, that's always fun to do. It is a good school, though, you know, and I feel I have one kid there now and I have two there next year. And so I feel lucky to be able to watch a little piece of that, you know, like they're having a big the school is uh, celebrating its 110th anniversary this year. And so they're having a big celebration tomorrow. And my son that's there at school with me, he's been so excited about it all week. And I'll get Uh to participate with him in a lot of the stuff because I work there. You know, it's like you can't you can't beat that, man, because you don't get that time back. You know, it's like this. It's really great. So I feel super lucky to be there. Um, It's like when the job when I saw the job posting, I looked at my wife. I said, I think I have to apply for this job because we already knew about the school. and so I, I think I have to apply for this job. It would just be so great. And it has been. So I feel fortunate. Yeah. So ratios and things of that nature, right? I'm, I, I assume pretty good. Yes. Like what do you the mean? Faculty to student oh. ratio and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it varies by division, but mm-hmm. like, like my son's class has 12 kids in it. Um, so, that, you know, 12 to one for some some different things they'll split them into even smaller groups you know like they'll split them into smaller groups for like reading and mm. writing type of stuff um sometimes in science they break them into little small groups which is nice you know and then i think in fourth grade the classes start to get a little bigger and then at certain points in high school they get smaller depending on what you're taking if you're taking mm. a really advanced course of course the classes are really small so the 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 child to teacher ratio is really good you know I like at my local public school sometimes the the ratios can be like double what they are at this school so you know that focused attention that you get is super valuable um now also too I just get like I think we have a lot of really good teachers at my school and I get to know them you know, and they get to know my kids and that helps because I do think parent involvement is really big in a kid's education, mm. even at a place where, uh, you know, some fancy private school. So just being able to be involved from that perspective. Now, that teacher may not always be happy with me because they be they may be mad about, you know, a policy that we've uh, developed out of my office. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, you know, decisions we've made about their benefits. But at least we get a chance to know each other and they know I'm involved. I think that's so big. Um, yeah. it's missing it's missing for a lot of kids unfortunately yeah but that's the ideal or I guess it used to be about community right sure back in the day you know you send the father off to war and he doesn't make it back or something other rather I mean I don't know like wages were such that pops could work and have, could afford a home and like buying a home and a couple of vehicles good school in a good neighborhood yeah. You know, and that's just changed so drastically, so fast. I mean, you talking yep. about in the last sixty years or so. That's really not a, a relatively a lot of time, right? But I, I keep going back to who do we have to convince? And I literally just Google like, how many billionaires would you say there are in the world right now? Oh, in the world? In the world? The world? 
gosh, I mean, at least a thousand, at least. Mm -hmm. All right. I would say maybe 33,000 billionaires. Very close. See, oh, thank God. You're so educated. (laughs) <laughs> 2668 billion billionaires or sorry thousand billionaires worldwide yeah. yeah and when i think about the presidential race mm-hmm. how you have to convince millions of people to vote for you or to donate or whatever it is right what if we convince less than 3000 people that hey man you're going to pay a lot but if you give a lot if you do a lot of good with your money we're going to give a bunch back and it's going to decrease the likelihood that I'm going to rob you when I yeah. see you in the streets. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. ideal of, like, you know, uh, take care of your neighbor sort of thing. Yeah. Community. Right? Hey, you know, um, to the one of the first points that you made about, you know, I'm wearing my shirt and you don't know who that necessarily reach. So I can, I'll, you know, but so I can give you a little insight on something that we won't publish at my school for a while. But we have a theme Ooh. every year. And the theme for next year is going to be generosity of spirit. Um, and as soon as my head of school Ooh. said that to me, this, then just just today, as soon as she said that to me, I said, "That's yes." I said, "Yes, that is it." <laughs> you know, I, if if there's something that we could get, especially um, our students at our school, right? Because mm-hmm. at our school, we're in Washington D.C. I can't tell you like who's kids but we have kids of people in powerful positions that you know go to our school because just by nature of where we're located right all the Mm -hmm. private schools in dc have that Mm -hmm. and you have the opportunity to make an outsized impact with those kids right and if you're teaching mathematics and chemistry and all that that's great and the parents want that but if you can also teach generosity of spirit right and, and impart that on kids. And and a lot of our parents have that, you know, um, which is good. But if you can if you can teach that to the kids, I think, and we're making good progress. You know, these kids, they are, they're very aware and they, you know, they push us to do the right thing. And it's uncomfortable for me sometimes because I'm not in the classroom teaching. I'm like, golly guys, the kids are really pushing me on the school becoming carbon neutral by 2050. You know, right. like, the kids are pushing. That's, that's right. important. I love that's that. That's right. So, um, you know, not that any effort like that would be lost on Bill Gates, right? Who's 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, he generally believes that kind of stuff. But when you can make impact on the kids, right? I think that's where it starts. Because I do think that there was a big time period and it started, you know, we're talking about Reagan and that era. I think in America for a long time, there has been a focus on what we like to call rugged individualism, right? Hmm. And that is not what makes us great as a society. Rugged individualism does not make us great as a society. I think what makes us great as a society is when we look out for each other and we build community, you know, um, and, and when we're able to look at each other as not just people that are um, co-workers or neighbors, and, and most people will just be that to us, right, to be clear. But when we do take the time to build relationships with people that extend beyond that, and they're people that you can call on when you have a time of need, um, and they right. can call on you, right? The the bond, as, as people, we are, we're made to be bonded together. I don't think we are made to be 
broken apart and individualized. And I think that's why the pandemic was so rough on us. You know, that, that's another mm. lesson I hope we can learn out of that. You know, people spend a lot of time talking about how bad the pandemic was um, because it isolated people and this and that and the other. And we shouldn't have these lockdowns because then people don't, you know, people were depressed and the businesses can't run. And I said, that's right. Now take it a step further. If the, if the lockdowns were bad for people and their mental health, what would be good for us? It would be good for us to be together and look after one another, right? So, you know, those are things that don't always come naturally um, to everybody. But when we can do that, I think it benefits us all. I really do. Well said, sir. Like, I, I try to teach my kids that, like, sometimes they get in these funks. Like, we all do. Yeah. And um, I say, hey, let's. won't you do something positive? What do you want to do? Well, I, I don't know what I want to do. I say, well, how about we look at the uh, the other end of the spectrum, right? What do you not want to happen to you? If you understand who I am, like if you tell me I don't know what to do, that's gonna come up with stuff for you to do. That's right, <laughs> right. So it was like, oh, well, uh, uh, I can work on my art. I can draw, right? So okay, what are you gonna draw? And well, I'm not sure yet. So what do we do when we have a block? It's like practice skills. So like mm. both of my daughters draw, and so when they can't think of anything to actually draw, get to shading. Draw huh. a thousand triangles if you have to. Like, just keep that muscle, you know, going until you do feel like you've uh, come across a muse of some sort. Interesting. Yeah, man. So I, I like that idea of if you don't know what you want to, think about what you don't want and, you know, book yeah. in it and you'll you'll be uh, steered to some very interesting places. Yeah. Which reminds me, before I let you go. Oh, man. I don't want to let you go. But before I let you go. I have a, a running question for I mean, you. I'm show. willing to come back. You know, I know you got other people probably to get to. Yeah. I, I would love to come back and talk about personal finance. That is oh my near yeah. and dear to my heart. I, um, I've actually, my wife teaches these childbirth education classes, and I really told her, I'm like, I have to figure out how to do something for her on finances for uh, new and expecting parents. Right. Yes. Because there, there are transitions and, and things you should think about. And I just personal finance is is near and dear to my heart because I know it's not something that everybody got. I didn't get education on it coming up. A lot of what I learned mm. is, is stuff that I've learned from reading and putting it into practice. But it's so important and it's important to start early. Yes. So, so my wife is a personal banker. I swear I was listening wherever she's at. I swear I was listening. So she does something with Wells Fargo, and um, like something to do with money. I'm, like, I'm uh, yeah, I'm a little shaky on that, but hey, that's all I'm good. In. And <laughs> I've I've learned so much, and oh man, I am gonna I'm gonna tell you right away. I'm gonna use you to lure her onto the show to talk about personal finances. Yeah, because she like, oh man, maybe she may kick me out of this chair, and it may just be a conversation with you two. Like anytime her and her friend get to talking about it, it's her boss. Uh, if we go out to dinner or something, and they're just burr, 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 and I'm sitting here like, okay, hey, how about that Dallas Mavericks team, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's yeah, just so far in my head, man. I can't wait. Yeah. Hey, well, for for those of us who where it's a personal thing, because you you really you understand the power of it so much, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I just know, you know, like when I first started working in 2006, like. Any dollar that I saved in 2006, 16 years ago, is probably $5 now, you know? And yeah. so when you understand that concept, you just, you want to tell other people about it because you know it's yeah. good. You know it's good. 
It's like me with the Gilded Age. Like, listen, if you don't have HBO Max, go do the free trial, whatever, whatever, and watch the Gilded Age. Like, just a sheer difference of classes and why that is. It was on full display with that ginormous budget that HBO always slams on the table. Yeah, but um, yeah, man, yeah, you'll definitely. I so you're talking to a madman. I have three podcasts because, as I said, I'm a madman. And I think you would be good for the other one to talk about personal finance. Yeah. So then that one's called Urban Academia, you know, because I, you know, consider myself an academic in that I'm, yeah. I've got a curious mind. Like, I don't have any of the tools, resources, or the know how, but I'm very curious about things. And that leads to some very interesting places. But the other guy is a felon. So, <laughs> Urban Academia. And so we, we try to figure each other out every Saturday night, and it's, it's pretty interesting. So, yeah, that's good, man. No, a curious mind will take you take you a lot further than uh, a lot of book smarts. Man, your mouth to God's ears back down to me in the form of a blessing. So <laughs> here's the here's the uh, the show running uh, the show question. I ask everybody this: If you are a car personified. What make and model are you and why? Oh, man. Answer wow. the question, Senator. <laughs> um, I'm not a big car guy, so it's like, I don't even know. Um, I Generally, honestly, I think of myself as pretty boring <laughs> and understated. So, we call that stable. Okay. Yeah, that, well, you know, that's so, you know, like... Right. You know, like what would like what would that be like? Uh, Nissan Central. I don't know. Yeah, well, so I was gonna say like a Honda Civic. Right? People say those Ooh, are pretty like, yeah. but like, but like, I, though I'm smaller than I used to be, I still consider myself <laughs> to be a big guy. Okay, so you, you know, are. I would say you know like a like a Hyundai Santa Fe or something because that's Ooh. a SUV, not a huge one, but decent yeah. size, but it's a reliable car. You know, you can count on it. It's going to start up every morning, and you can yeah. you can drive it a long time. I think that's I like what it. I would go with. That's not I very. Like it. It's not very flashy, and it's not my dream car <laughs> or any of that. But that's what I would say. But it's also something that you know, an NBA person or a doctor or anybody can kind of get on board with trying to sell to other people. Right? There you go. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's right. way better than mine. So mine is a clown car. <laughs> so. <laughs> But you know, you see, pull up and beep beep is is goofy and it's like, what is this thing? And then as it the doors fling open, just stuff is flying out. It's more and more and more to unpack. So yeah, that's what I went with. Of course, my wife went the, with a uh, a Maserati. So oh okay, all right, there you go, yeah. there you go. Someone once asked like, so are these two cars in the same garage? I was like, no, no, no. I've got to park down the block and then walk to the house. You know, <laughs> she can't be seen with that. Can't be seen with that. No, she's too busy for that. <laughs> yeah, man. But listen, Trey, thank you so much for joining me, man. This is a huge thing for me. Um, yeah. It's always weird reaching out to you Vandyites, right? Because I'm always thinking, like, that's such a sore spot for me. And so, like, it's weird. Like, when I, I think uh, Liz or maybe it was Jules, but I reached out to them and they were like, yeah, man, and, hey, you should come down for the homecoming and blah, blah, blah. And, like, when I tell you I was on the phone and like in tears of like, they still love me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming by and can't wait to talk to you again about personal finance, man. 
for sure, man. I've enjoyed it. This has been fun. This has been absolutely. Fun. Anything to promote, or you know, you got the festival coming up. You want to stand up and show off your shirt? <laughs> no, I don't have. I don't know if I have anything to promote other than you know, like, be good to somebody, man. You never know what they got going that day. I think that's if we all. You know, we can all we can all do that, right? We can all be good to somebody every day because you never know. So, I would like to promote that. Awesome, man. Look, we'll just end it there. You can't get any, any better than that. Thank you so much, Trey. And uh, you, the audience. Oh, uh, I forgot to say hello, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you very much. And for those of you who may be listening on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, thank you for that. Uh, go. <laughs> okay. There is no Patreon. Okay. My partner. My partner. There is no Patreon. Okay. <laughs> Dean, there is no Patreon. You can't say things until they happen. So anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Peace.